It was during the Summer Olympics last year, August 5th, 2021, when the article came out. It was right there from Tokyo. And the headline screamed, another relay fail as US men don't qualify for finals. And they were speaking about the four by 100 relay race in which once again on paper, the USA team had the fastest individual times. But as has happened numerous times in the last 30 years, the USA runners continue to struggle when it comes to passing the baton. And the backlash was brutal from the track and field community. And the common theme continued of them saying they really messed up every exchange that they had. And in a relay race, while running, the, the runner hands the baton to the next runner who has already started running so that they can keep the momentum without losing precious time. And the runners know that dropping the baton is an automatic disqualification. And so their success depends upon the passing of the baton. And today what we're gonna do is we're going to take a look at the final chapter in the life of Elijah. And Elijah is going to pass the baton to Elisha. Now I put that on the screen since their names are, are so similar. I don't want us to be confused. And Elijah needs to successfully pass the baton so that Israel will continue to have spiritual leadership for decades to come. And we've been learning a, a lot of lessons from the life of Elijah, and they're going to help us navigate through this world that seems to be spinning wildly out of control. And Elijah, this powerful man of God, has been used greatly, and God empowered him to do many miraculous things to get the attention of idol worshipers, enemies of the one true God, to deepen the beliefs of the Israelites. Elijah believed in the power of prayer, and yet he struggled like all of us. The same man who stood against thousands who opposed his beliefs, also that same man fearfully ran away from a woman who threatened his life. Probably not the first man to run from a woman, and certainly not the last. And last week we learned that even during a season of depression, God assured Elijah that he was not alone. He may have felt alone, but he, he wasn't. And today we conclude our series by seeing how he humbly and skillfully passed the baton of leadership and kept the momentum going in the right direction. You might say, well, I, I, I doubt that this message will have much to do with me. I mean, I'm, I'm not a leader. But leadership is influence. And there are others who are, are watching you. And someday there will be someone to follow you in your job. And there will be another volunteer at church or another coach with that team who is going to fill your role. And this message is for the teacher who's pouring into their students it's for the expectant parent who yearns to pass on the spiritual baton to their child. It's for the business executive who knows retirement is sooner rather than later. It's for the grandparent who, who has strategic influence on the youngest generation. It's for the Christian who wants to pass on their faith and their daily interactions with people. It's for the mentor who pours into our teens. And so this message, it actually applies to all of us. We begin in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. 
And the Lord said to him, Elijah, said, go back the way you came, go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel Mahalo, to succeed you as prophet. So God says to Elijah, hey, you know, it's, it's time to go get some help. It's, it's time to start the handoff process with the baton. And can I tell you why Elijah's story is so important to me? It's because it was nearly 17 years ago that I experienced receiving the handoff of the baton, and it was just three years ago that I experienced the passing of the baton. And so this topic is close to my heart because I've had a rather unique perspective of knowing how it feels on both sides of the handoff. Well, what did Elijah do? He did a lot of things right, but let's look at three healthy actions he took. The first thing that he did to make this a successful transfer was he listened to God. Now, we don't have the luxury of, of having a verbal conversation with God and hearing his audible voice like Elijah, but we have something that people didn't have back then. That is, we have the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us. And his spirit will prompt us and speak to us if we become familiar with his voice by reading his word and worshiping with his people. He will make things crystal clear to us. We just need to be listening and available and we have to be obedient. And so Elijah is going to tell Elisha, it's time to start running because there will soon be a handoff. Here's the second action that Elijah takes. He set his successor up for success. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Uh, there's a stretch of time, most theologians believe that it was probably a couple of years of training, where the two of them are together. And, and, and there's this mentoring that's taking place. It's an important season where the person making the handoff must lend opportunity and credibility to the successor. That's necessary for there to be a smooth transfer of the baton. And parents, you do the very same thing with your children. You are raising them to release them. Some of you may have just dropped your, your son or dropped your daughter off at college. And you know that is an emotional experience, mainly because of the tuition cost. But uh, <laughs> there, there are other things too, right? Not, not having them around. But we've been preparing for 18 years for that drop-off. That's our goal, is to set our children up to pave the way for adulthood so that they will choose Jesus and they will make God-honoring choices in their life. You are trying to set them up for success through the different stages of child-rearing. And so you start with that, that period of, of discipline, teaching them discipline and that there are consequences for their behavior. And then it moves into more of the, the training and after the training, now you're more on the sidelines and it kind of becomes more of the, the coaching because now they're, they're in the action and all you can do is, is, is shout directions and ideas from, from the sideline. You're trying to set them up, not for worldly success, although that may come. You're trying to set them up for heavenly success. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, your most significant leadership accomplishment may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Never underestimate the impact of your influence as a parent or as a grandparent. Your children and your grandchildren are literally your successors. 
And the way that you live can leave a a Christ-honoring legacy that will long outlast your earthly life. The Southeast Church where, where I served in Louisville for 30 years is a church that is very similar to CCV. And Bob Russell, the lead pastor whom I followed, had grown the church from 100 people to having 18,000 people attending each weekend. And Bob led with integrity and with humility. He consistently spoke God's message from God's word. He was an Elijah. And years ago, when he literally passed the baton to me, it was his last worship service and he, he had led for 40 years. And in that service, after he passed me that baton, I. I prayed in that service, and here's what I prayed. I said, God, will you make me half the man? Will you make me half the leader that Bob Russell has been? And Bob did a a great job of unselfishly setting me up for success. He spent time with me. He, He allowed me to learn from him in a variety of settings. He gave me difficult assignments to stretch me, He allowed me to team teach and to even preach with him. And we would both be preaching together in the same message sometimes during the year. He even did so on the biggest weekends of the year. He even shared Easter weekend with me. He shared Christmas Eve services with me. Hey, that that is unheard of. Usually they give the low man on the totem pole weekends like Labor Day. Uh... (laughs) I'm, I'm glad to be here. All right. <laughs> the third action that Elijah took was this. He humbly stepped aside when it was appropriate. Now, some surveys show that peak leadership years are the 40s and early 50s. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't still be effective at, at other ages. My predecessor, could have continued to lead our church, but he knew that these were great years of energy and vitality and passion for me. And so he, he stepped aside and that motivated me to always wanna do the same for my successor. Don Wilson knew it was time for someone to lead who was younger and so he, he graciously orchestrated a handoff to Ashley when, when Ashley was 40 years old. It was a German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said, the righteous person lives for the next generation. And Elijah did just that. And I hope that you will too. Studies show that the longer you lead an organization, the more risk aversive you become. There there may be fewer new ideas and more of a play it safe mentality. And I don't like to admit that, but, but I know it's true. And sometimes most most leaders are too short-sighted and task-oriented to make the effort to plan and pull off a smooth transition. I mean, think about it. It's a lot more fun to run than it is to take the time to practice the handoff. But it's a very special leader who has the character to make the task easier for the successor. And it takes a very special successor to trust and accept the plan. And we struggle with both of those areas when we feel that things are out of our control and that someone else owns the timetable. John Maxwell, one of my favorite favorite people to read when it comes to leadership, he says this, a legacy is created only when a person puts his organization into the position to do great things without them. 
I mentioned earlier about my predecessor, Bob Russell, handing me a baton in his final worship service. And when I left the church on that Sunday, it was probably about two o'clock in the afternoon, and Bob was still up front in the church greeting people. There was a long line of people that wanted to tell him thank you for his four decades of service. It was about two, so Beth and I, we, we finally just headed on out. And Bob's car was still in his parking spot down where we parked, right, right next to my car. And I couldn't resist. I got a piece of paper and I jotted a note and I placed it on his windshield. I said, to whom it may concern, please move your vehicle as this is a reserved spot. <laughs> Signed, the current holder of the baton. <clears throat> and I, I think he got a kick out of it. At, at least that's what his attorneys told me. Um, <laughs> But a couple of nights later, uh, Beth and I went to the office area, and I'll never forget it because we were in my office, and then we just glanced over at Bob's, and it was totally empty. I mean, it was just, the bookshelves were barren. They'd been stuffed for all these years, and, and there was nothing there. And we walked in and we just wandered around. And I, you know, I can just say it was just a, it was an eerie feeling because it didn't feel like it was his office anymore, but it certainly didn't feel like it was my office either. And Beth walked over to this empty room and this empty desk and she said, did you see this? And I said, what? And she said, look, this is for you. And he had written this note. He said, Dave, thank you for all that you have done for me and for your support all these years. My prayer as I leave today is that this office will be a place where your walk with God is continually deepened, where many great sermons will be written, where your wonderful sense of humor will often be expressed. I'm so thankful that you are the one moving in. God bless you, Bob. And after I read it, I looked at Beth and she she had tears rolling down her face, and I'll never forget because she looked back at me and said, what did you put on his windshield? <laughs> I said, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> but not everyone is blessed in ministry or in business to have that gracious and supportive of a passing of the baton. And that's an overview of three of the ways that Elijah ensured that this would be a good handoff to Elisha. Now let's look at some scriptures and let's answer the question, what did Elisha do? Well, first he had a teachable spirit. First Kings chapter 19, verses 19 and 20 says, so Elijah went from there, this God has just spoken to him and told him to anoint a new successor. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now back then when somebody put their cloak over the, the top of you, it was symbolic of saying, you're my choice. It was the passing of the mantle of leadership. It was an invitation to a lifetime of service to the Lord. And this man of God is asking Elisha to be his successor. Now, we're gonna do something different in this sermon. Throughout this message, I'm going to ask you five math questions, all right? Now, I could never tell you that before or you would never come to church, right? But I'm gonna ask you five math questions. You're gonna to have to do some fast math in your head. And when I ask the question at all of our campuses, I just want you to holler back 
the numeric answer wherever you're worshiping, okay? Here we go, are you ready? No, that was not good, all right? Uh, Are you ready? All right, that's what I'm talking about. Math question number one. How many are 12 pair of livestock? 24, all right. Good job, Chandler. Good job, Scottsdale, right? Uh, Scholars tell us that having 12 yokes of oxen would have meant that Elisha was quite well off. It would have meant that he had opportunities. Things were looking good for him. He's not just sitting around in a dead-end job waiting for his ship to come in. He's a wealthy farmer. He has at least 11 employees because he's the one who's driving the, the 12th plow himself. Watch what happens. Verse 20, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Elijah's ready to leave, right? And he says, hey, first, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Oh, go back, Elijah replied. Well, what have I done to you? In other words, oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I'm sorry, sure, yeah, go tell them goodbye. Now, it doesn't say so in scripture, but if Elisha didn't hug his mom goodbye, his ministry would have been doomed forever, right? And so he goes back to say goodbye to his family. Look at Elisha's second action. He proved that he was all in. And this next passage may be the defining moment of Elisha's life. Please don't miss this, verse 21. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He gave it to the people. And they ate. Wow, what a moment. What a display of faith and obedience. Elisha made a commitment that if this is what he was going to do with his life, there was no turning back. This was a lifelong decision. And now if that were us, we would say, you know what? Conventional wisdom would be to say, you know, I think I'm gonna burn half of the plows and half of the livestock, and I'm gonna keep half of it. That makes sense. I mean, God, you're, you're my partner. It's, it's 50-50, In fact, we would even applaud him if he did that. And we'd say, you know what, he's smart. He kept his options open in in case this profit thing doesn't really work out for him. But that wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, if this is what God has called me to be and to do, then I'm gonna trust him and I'm all in. And for Elisha, there's no contingency plan. There's no fallback position. There's no plan B. He left the lucrative farming business in an agricultural world. He closed up shop, why? Because he understood the difference between a career and a calling. A career is what you're paid for. A calling is what you're made for. What were you made for? And Elisha was convinced that God wanted to use him to speak on his behalf. And he's choosing to chart a course in the direction of God's will. And he is not looking back. And so he burns everything that he's accumulated. Everything. His plows. He burns all of his livestock necessary for his livelihood. And he puts it to good use as he has a barbecue for all of his people. I love how Pastor Kevin Queen describes it. He says, he burns the plows and cooks the cows. And the smoke is wafting in the air and the smell of a community cookout communicates that Elisha is all in. 
100%. He is leaving his family. He is leaving his profession and he is going with Elijah. And Elijah spends the next few years mentoring Elisha and preparing him for the passing of the baton so that he can succeed in God's service. Has there ever been a moment in your life when you just feel like you said to the world, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna leave all that behind me and I'm gonna go in the direction of Christ. And if that means burning up some things that entangle me, if it means getting rid of, of some things that have become too important to me, then so be it. And maybe that moment for you was at your baptism. Maybe it was when you had a, a health scare. Maybe it was when you were reading God's word and, and something just hits you through the power of the spirit that caused you to see something you'd never seen before and it was just a wake-up call to you. Elijah spent the next few years mentoring Elisha and preparing him to succeed in God's service. Here's the third action that we see in this succession planning. Elisha boldly asked for God's blessing. And the way he did it, I mean, it, it's quite interesting and, and memorable. First, we need to see some things that Elijah did, though. Elijah went on a walk down by the Jordan River with Elisha. We pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. It says, 50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took his cloak and he rolled it up and he struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left. And the two of them crossed over on dry ground. There is the mentor right there with the mentee. Why are these other prophets there? Well, because word was out that God was going to miraculously take Elijah up to heaven. And now a, a good outgoing leader, the one who is passing the baton off, always wants to do things that help to make the transition of leadership easier for the successor. So look at verse nine. 2 Kings 2, 9 says, when they had crossed the Jordan River, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. He's saying, I don't want to just sustain what you've done, Elijah. I want twice of what you have to glorify God, to make his name famous. This is not some egotistical request. I want to be twice the prophet that you are. No, it's not like that at all. You have to understand that back in that day, the oldest son received a double portion of the father's inheritance because he was the primary heir. And Elisha is saying, I want to be the primary prophet. I'm going to try to fill your shoes. You're probably sitting here thinking right now, is it greedy for me to ask for an extra helping of God's spirit in my life? Is it okay to ask God to enlarge my territory? Is it okay for me to say, God, I want more of you in my life? Yes, it's fine to say that. God's okay with that. His response is, you can have as much of me as you want. It's not an issue of supply, it's an issue of desire. And Elisha wants to be used by God to the fullest. And he, he wants to be doubly effective. 
He wants to keep the momentum moving forward as Elijah passes off the baton so that they they don't lose precious time. Mark Moore puts it like this. He says, never ask God to give you double what someone else has until you've given him all that you have. 100%. All in. And Elijah says, if you are present, When God chooses to take me up into heaven, then that means that God will grant you your request and you will be doubly blessed. And shortly after that, a fiery chariot swoops down from heaven and in an instant, it took Elijah way up to God. You remember that that song, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home? Remember that verse? I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. That's all about this passage of scripture. And this chariot swoops down, takes Elijah up. This is, this is the first heavenly Uber ride. Um, There's probably a lift, actually. Um, <laughs> but whatever it was, Elisha was there and saw it all, meaning that God will be giving him a double blessing. Well, the baton, or in this case, the cloak, had been passed, and the question that needs to be answered for all the other religious leaders and God's people is, well, does this young man have the blessing of God? And after Elijah rode off into the sunset, now all eyes are on Elisha, and here comes another defining moment in his life. You see, every successor knows that you have to get a win under your belt Once that baton has been passed off, you you need a win. In my case, for me, when I began my leadership, it was was saying that we were gonna move from being one church to being a church in different locations, and we were gonna have more campuses. And so my first win was finally when we, we had campus number two, and they saw, oh, it actually works. For Ashley, here at CCV, it was taking the risk of challenging the church to sponsor every single child that was available in Columbia, 11,000 kids, and raising $2.2 million so that they could help start and launch nine new churches over there. And it was a big win. And that gave him credibility in your eyes to lead. But don't miss out on how Elisha got his first win. Elijah has just been taken to heaven alive. And as the chariot is going up, Elijah's cloak falls from the chariot and comes to the ground. And Elisha picks up the cloak and he goes walking down back to where the Jordan River is. People hadn't seen Elijah being taken up into heaven, but these 50 prophets are watching every single thing that Elisha does. And so Elisha walks back to the Jordan River. All eyes are upon him. And you know what he does? He takes the cloak of Elijah. He rolls it up. He strikes the Jordan River. And it separates. And he goes walking through on dry ground. And the 50 prophets are like, yeah, he might be the man for the job, right? (laughs) And everything changes because now he has instant credibility because this is confirmation that the baton had been passed, that God's spirit was on Elisha just as it had been on Elijah. Elisha's job 
wasn't to be Elijah. Elisha's job was to be Elisha. And your job is not to do things the same way that your predecessor did them. You be yourself. You be the way that God made you. The Bible says that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the only person who can be you and get it right. How does the Jordan River divide? It's not because of a magic coat. It's because Elisha's confidence is in the Lord. And that's the fourth action of Elisha's. His confidence was in the Lord. And Elisha gave up his career and his possessions. He is 100% in. And Elijah began a mentorship for a couple of years. And then Elisha asked for a double portion of the spirit that God gave to Elijah. So let's take a look and let's, let's see what happened. Here are the, the miracles in the ministry of, of Elijah. You can see some of them there causing the drought for three and a half years, causing it to rain, uh, parting of the Jordan River that we just talked about. Look at those 14 astounding moments where God showed up and he used Elijah as his main vessel and intervened through him to do these 14 miracles. It was evident that God was with him every step of the way. But in light of these 14 miracles, over in the New Testament, James reminds us in James chapter five, verse 17, he says, Elijah was as human as we are. How reassuring to know that, that God uses imperfect people like Elijah and Elisha, like you and me, to carry out his work. Well, let's see how God used Elisha and, and how many of God's miracles Elisha got to be a part of. Here's, here's his miracles. You can see them here. There's 14, it starts with the parting of the Jordan River and, and it goes on to list all sorts of times of healing of, of Naaman, of, of leprosy, the miracle of the vessels of oil, all these different things. So there's 14 right there, miraculous signs that Elisha was a part of, some crazy, amazing things that God did through him. Math question number two, are you ready? What is 14 plus 14? So God was just getting started when he partnered with Elisha's first 14 miraculous events. You see, there's more. Look at the rest of them. Notice the number that it lands on. Throughout his life, he did 28 incredible miracles that gave God glory. Exactly a double portion. Unbelievable, a double blessing exactly. Just what Elisha had asked for. God is so faithful. And when we are all in, God wants to give us the desires of our heart. Jesus said in the New Testament, a good father wants to give good gifts to his children. And God gave Elisha just what he asked for because God was going to receive all of the glory from those miracles. I told you all earlier that, that when the baton was passed to me at my home church, the church had grown to 18,000 people. And I took the baton then. And 13 and a half years later, when I passed the leadership reins to my successor, the church was running 27,000 people. Math question number three. This is a tougher question. Holler out the answer at all of our campuses. What's 27,000 minus 18,000? 
9,000. Math question number four. I'm looking for a number again. 9,000 is what percentage of 18,000? 50% or half? And as I was writing this message, I was struck with this question. When I received the baton from my predecessor, what if I had asked God to give me a double blessing instead of asking God to make me half the leader that my predecessor was? Please don't misunderstand me. Numbers are not the only way to measure God's blessing. But I think you get my point. God wants to use you He wants to bless you in his ways and in his time, but he wants us to be all in, burning and ridding ourselves of the idols and distractions in our lives that can keep us from our main purpose. Math question number five, last question. I'm looking for a number. What percentage of your allegiance and devotion does God want and deserve? 100%. Can you say with Elisha, if this is what God has called me to be and to do, then I will trust him and I will be all in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who was all in when it came to expressing his love for us on the cross. Will you help us to pass the baton gracefully? Will you help us to receive it humbly? And while we have it, may we be all in, 100%. And Lord, you're not done with us yet, and we know that because we're still breathing. And so, would you help us to raise our sights? And when we are fearful, and when we worry and wonder if you could ever use us, would you give us the guts, would you give us the spiritual courage to ask for a double measure of your blessing. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said.